Matthew 11, verse 28. It's a very familiar scripture, one that most of us have read many times in our life, but it's uh, some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Matthew 11, and it says in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is red letter, so this is Jesus speaking. And verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And verse 30, for my yoke is easy. How many like your yokes easy when you're doing scrambled eggs? And No, I'm joking. For my yoke, that's not the kind of the yoke he's talking about, not eggs. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? Let's look over at Revelation. We're going to be talking about the seven-headed beast in um, Revelation. So Revelation 22. Talk about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast tonight. So something to look forward to. Revelation 22. Last book of the Bible. I know a lot of you probably haven't ventured into Revelation any time recently, but it's still a good book. You need to read it every once in a while. You might need somebody's help reading it, but it'll be helpful to read it at least once in your life. So, Revelation 22. Now, this is the last book of the Bible here, and this is the last chapter of the Bible. So, Revelation 22, 12, and Jesus is speaking. He says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Let's look down at verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now, verse 17, now this is going to be one of the key verses tonight, so look at this verse. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. But the first part of that verse, that's what we're going to focus in on tonight. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. If you're taking notes tonight, the title of my message is, The Spirit and the Bride. Everybody say, The Spirit and the bride say the spirit and the bride we're gonna have a good time tonight you guys excited you guys ready to go this is uh tonight's going to be part three of this series i've been doing we started a couple weeks ago of this is how we change the world we got our powerpoint slide up and everything tonight and it's part three tonight of this is how we change the world has anybody been getting anything out of the past couple messages on this is how we change the world And this is something that's in me so strong and so deep. And as you can tell, I've been a little bit fired up about it. I've been a little bit passionate about it. And and don't think I've been mad at any of you, but I'm just a little excited and passionate about what I'm talking about. So if I seem pretty strong the last couple weeks and this week, uh, don't get offended. I love each and every one of you, but I'm not going to sit here and be satisfied with what we got. I'm not going to sit here and not challenge us to go further. I'm not going to sit here and myself and you guys and just live a mediocre average life and not see God move in this city. 
I won't have it. And that's why I'm a little fired up about it. Because if somebody doesn't call it out and challenge people, people will stay at the lowest common denominator. They will stay at the average, the status quo. How many know there's a lot of people you go to school with and work with, and they are satisfied with where they are, and they will live an average, comfortable life the rest of their lives. And they will make no eternal difference in anybody's life. And when they get to heaven, Jesus will look at them and say, well... He won't say, well done. He'll say, well, because they didn't do anything for the kingdom of God. They wasted their life away on things that are not important. They wasted their life away. You can waste your life. And don't let this lie come into your heart that, you know, I got some time here. You know, chill out, Basie. I'm in high school, for goodness sakes. Let me have a little fun. Let me sow my wild oats. Let me do my own thing. And then when I get about 30 or 40 and get married and have some children, then I'll get settled down. Then I'll start coming to church. Then I'll start bringing a supply. Then I'll start tithing. Then I'll start being involved and really give God all my life. But don't bug me right now because I'm young and I want to do what I want to do. Trust me, when you get a little bit older, I already know this, and I'm 24 years old, and that's just a little bit older than some of you in here. And you realize at the ripe old age of 24 that anything else other than pursuing the plans of God for your life, anything else than sowing into the kingdom of God is a wasted life. It's an unfulfilling life. Some people figure it out sooner than later, but everybody figures it out eventually. Sometimes it takes people to their 40 years old to, to realize, hey, I've been wasting my life and all these things that don't satisfy. Let me look for something else that's really going to satisfy me and fulfill me. But you guys in here are smarter than that. You got a jump start on most people on the planet because you're so young and you know the answer at, an old, at a young age so you don't have to wait till you're old to figure this out. How much more can you do for the kingdom of God and for the church being young how much more can you do than your parents or your grandparents did and not wait and not wait to do something for God when you get older and let me tell you something when you get older you're just going to have more responsibilities rude awakening you're going to have more responsibility you're going to get married you're going to have to pay for a house a car you're going to have a baby which I am and, and, and they're not free. They cost money. And you're going to have more responsibility. So it's going to take even more effort out of you when you're older because you're going to have more responsibility to do so for the kingdom of God. So might as well start the good habits while you're young. Start them while you're young. Amen? Well, that was all free. That wasn't on my notes. So, so we see here We've been talking about this is how we change the world, and we read this last week and the week before, both in Mark and Matthew, where Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, I want you to go into all, all the world and make disciples. Translation, 2012, I want you to go into all the world and change it. Don't leave it the way you found it. I want you to change it. Because you're, you're called here not to just sit in your four walls and do nothing. You've been called to go into all the world and preach the gospel and change it. You've been called to change things on this planet. 
You know, the reason he wants us to change the world is because he loves the world. Jesus died to save the world. And he loves the world with all his heart. That's why we all know the scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. For everyone, for all time, he gave. And notice, he doesn't just love people that come to church. He loves everybody on the planet. You know, the people that you don't like at school, Jesus loves that person. The people that annoy you, Jesus loves that person just as much as you. And just because you got an attitude against them, God loves that person and wants to save that person and wants to change that person. And Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and change it. you got to realize this, as a disciple of Jesus, you've been called to be change agents on this planet. Each and every one of you. Not just me. Not just the ministers that stand up here. All of us in here have been called to be change agents in this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. That gives us the ability to change it. Because if we're made up with the same stuff that the rest of the world is made of, there's nothing to change. But how many know, it says in the Word of God, we've been born from above. We're from a different kingdom. We're from a different system. We're from a different world now. And since we're from that other world now, we're able to change this world. Because this world has the ability to change, but the the world where God comes from is unshakable, is unchangeable. We are called to be change agents for Jesus on this earth. Let's look over at Matthew 9. Matthew 9. I'm excited. Matthew 9. You know, some of the things I'm about to say is probably going to hit you guys in a way that might be a little bit convicting. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Because what I'm about to say is something that a lot of church people don't like to talk about. But it's the issue why we're not reaching the world. And, and what, I'm, what I'm about to say is I'm going to come to my own altar call after this because I'm not preaching this like I'm all that and I do all this because these are things that God is preaching to me that I need to work on and I need to change. So I by no means am saying, I'm perfected, look at me, I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm saying, I'm going to come with you and get an altar call tonight because I have issues that I need to change too. And I have things that God has to deal with me about. And notice, Jesus is our example. Is Jesus our example? And the Word of God says to follow in His footsteps. If you're a disciple, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You live like Jesus lived. You love like Jesus loved. You do what Jesus did. If you're called to be His follower. And that's why He sent the Holy Spirit so you had the ability to live like Jesus lived on the earth. But there's something that we're going to read here in Matthew 9. In verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he rose and followed him. In verse 10, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold many tax collectors, which they didn't like tax collectors back then. How many know people still don't like tax collectors still to this day? Many tax collectors and sinners came 
and sat down with him, with Jesus and his disciples. And notice verse 11, And when the Pharisees, the religious people, saw it, they were ticked off. And they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Or why, why does Jesus eat with bad people? So notice, when Jesus heard that, he said to them in verse 12, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In verse 13, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not call the, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice that Jesus said, For I did not come to call the righteous, or what he's really talking about is the self-righteous, which the Pharisees are because they think they're already good and they already deserve to make it to heaven and they think they're all that in a bag of chips apart from Jesus and Jesus said I didn't come to call the self-righteous or the people that got it all together I came to call the people that know they got issues and know they got problems and know they are a sinner and they know they are in need of saving that's who I came to call because you can't help somebody who doesn't admit they have a problem See, that's what religious people do. They act like they got it all together because they're a good person and they, they treat people morally and they have integrity, but they're just as jacked up as everybody else. And they are just as much in need of a Savior as the worst sinner you could think of. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call the self-righteous but sinners to repentance. You've got to realize what's going on in this story. It says, Jesus... He sat down and he had a meal with tax collectors, which were not good back then, not, not good today. And they were, they were known as the, like pretty much the low lives of society and sinners. The notorious sinners in the city came and ate with Jesus. Okay, uh, modern day, the, the prostitutes, the pimps, the bank robbers, the drug dealers of southern Indiana came and ate with Jesus modern translation that's who ate with Jesus and notice Jesus was okay with that Jesus didn't have a problem with sinners sitting with him he didn't have a problem with going to eat with sinners he didn't have a problem hanging out with sinners I'm going somewhere you with me tonight and notice if Jesus is our example how did he treat the lost and the broken and the unsaved. How did he treat them? He didn't treat them like most church people treat unsaved people. He didn't treat them like most, most church people treat lost people. Like they got a disease or they got the plague or, you know, I don't want to be associated with you because what are other church people going to think about me if I go out to eat with you? I don't think Jesus, he didn't, he didn't read that scripture that, that that religious person read, did he? So the question is, I'm going somewhere, stay with me. How do we treat lost people in our life? How do we treat unsaved people, unsanctified people, unholy people? Do we run from them? Do we talk bad about them like they got a disease? Or do we welcome them into our life? See, see most, most people never talk about this in church. Because we got the other side down, and, and it's right that we talk about the other side, about having right friends and godly friends and holy friends and you hanging out with the right people. But there's more to the story than just that. Because if you just hang out with people that are just like you, nothing will change. 
if you just hang out with all saved people, you will never reach anybody that's lost. If you don't have any friends that don't know Jesus, guess what? Nobody's getting saved. So we can talk all day about having the right friends. You guys all got that down about having the right friends. But the question is, do you have any lost friends? And a lot of us would answer, no, I don't, because I only hang out with church people. And we're wondering why we can't change the world and we're not reaching any lost people because we treat lost people like they got a disease. We treat lost people not in a way that we would want to be treated by anybody else. We got to think, how would Jesus treat these people? And the Word of God shows us how he treated these people. He loved them. He went to eat with them. He sat down with them. He didn't judge them. He didn't condemn them. Why? Because he realized they're sinners. And guess what sinners do? Sin. I can't get mad at you for sinning when you're a sinner. That's who you are. That's what you do. That's your nature. You can't get mad at a sinner for sinning. That's who they are. I'm preaching tonight. Hello. So how did Jesus treat the lost, the broken, the hurting? The notorious sinners in town, the, the so-called bad people. God doesn't see bad people and good people. You know that. But, but society likes to put everybody in two categories. Here's the bad people, the sinners, and here's the good people, the religious people. But Jesus didn't see it like that. He realized everybody's a bad person and a sinner by nature, and everyone is in need of a Savior. Because the only person good on this earth and on this universe is God. And until we receive the finished work of Jesus, we're not good people. Okay, just because you helped the old lady across the street and you baked a cake for your cousin does not make you a good person, Martha Stewart. Just because you're somewhat moral and you give a little bit in the offering every once in a while doesn't make you a good person. Doesn't make you right with God. Doesn't make you eligible for heaven just because you threw, threw pennies in the offering the other day. Because there's only one good, and that's God. This is what the Pharisees and the religious people said. This is their, their thinking. If I stay away from bad people or sinners, that makes me righteous. A lot of Christians act like that. I don't hang out with sinners, so that, that makes me righteous. But a lot of people that have that attitude are just as jacked up as the sinners they're not hanging out with. I thought it would be quiet in this Methodist church tonight. So we we read the Gospels and we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious people and we, we don't think about ourselves being that person. We're like, man, them Pharisees and Sadducees, they're just mean, they're just honorary. I would never be like that. But we don't realize we are acting just like them. It's just 2012, and we put different names on it. But we're acting just like the Pharisees. Who would you rather be like, a Pharisee or like Jesus? Jesus didn't call us to follow the Pharisees and the religious people. He called us to follow him. And how did he treat lost people? That is the question. He told us specifically not that we should abstain from hanging out with so-called sinners, but he called us to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. 
a lot of us got uh, that not of the world down, but nobody's in the world, so you're not affecting anybody. I'm glad that you're righteous, you're holy, you can pray in tongues, but if you're not in the world, you're not reaching anybody. You're not reaching lost people. So good for you. You feel better about yourself, but you're not reaching anybody. Jesus didn't call us to do that. He called us for so much more. And until we start reaching lost, unsaved people, which in the Word of God it says, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus loves lost people. He's consumed with lost people. God's heart is lost and broken people. And until our heart is for lost and broken people, unsaved people, sinners, the outcasts, the, the, the bad people that we, some called people around our community, then we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're missing out on what God has called us to do. You know, the thing is, you can't get mad at the darkness if you as the light are not willing to invade the darkness. Hello, somebody. Everybody's getting mad. All the world's getting so dark. And, you know, MTV and VH1 and, and all these new artists and, and my, my school and my college and my workplace is so dark. It's only dark because you're not shining your light. It's not because the darkness is so powerful and it's overtaking you. It's because you're not shining your light. Because you're not being the light you should be in that job. You're not being the light you should be at your school. You're not being the light you should be in your world. So don't complain about the darkness. It's called you haven't turned on your light. Because when light comes, darkness has no other choice than to flee. When light comes into the situation, darkness, there's not options. Like, I can stay here for a couple years. I can stay here for a little while. No, when light comes into the situation, darkness must flee. I'm not just talking to you tonight, but the church as a whole cannot complain about the world's problems and it being so dark. The only way it's so dark is because the church as a whole has turned off its light. You know what? It doesn't help if all of us in here are shining the light. There's already light in here. We, we don't need any more light. But out there's where it's dark. So I don't need you to come to church and, and get your lighter on and your flashlight and shine at each other. It's already bright enough in here. Out there's where it needs the light in the darkness. But notice, Jesus was okay with hanging out with sinners. He wasn't uptight about it. You know, the thing is, a lot of us feel like if we hang out with whoever you put in that box of being not right or being a sinner, is we think that if we hang out with them or we love on them or we do something with them, that means we're condoning what they're doing or we're agreeing with their lifestyle. Jesus hung out with all those people, but that didn't mean he agreed with what they did. He loved the person. He didn't love the sin they were participating in, but he loved the person. And you've got to realize in your life, the person is a lot more important than what they're acting like. A lot of us as Christians make so much big a deal about what they do a couple hours on a Friday night instead of looking at there's a person behind all that. Yeah, I realize you go and get drunk every weekend and sleep around with everybody, but there's a person behind that. 
And you getting drunk and doing all that stuff should not be a reason for me to treat you wrong or reason for me to not hang out with you. Because how will they know that there's anything different if all the Christians want to run away from them? If everyone with the answers run away from them? The world has questions, but all the Christians are running away from the world into their church. How can the world's questions be answered if everybody with the answers are in this building tonight? It won't be reached. It won't be reached. You know what Jesus did? He loved the person. He said, I don't care about how you act or what you do. I love you. And I see a future in you. And notice, he, the whole time he was with them, he wasn't, he, he wasn't preaching to them the whole time. He wasn't judging them. He wasn't condemning them. He wasn't just trying to share his track he got from church the other day and try to lead him in the sinner's prayer in the first 30 seconds he met him. Because a lot of Christians do that, and they don't get anybody saved because they're annoying. And people can see past that, that that you look at them more like a project instead of a person. That you're just another notch I can put in my belt, and if I bring you to church, everybody will think I'm reaching the lost people. So I'm going to bring you to church. I really could care less about you. But they, 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 gotta, they, they can see past that. People are smarter than you think. And they know if you're talking to them in a real way or you're being fake with them. Or... What about a person, as soon as you talk to them, they shut you down on what you're saying about the gospel? Do we react negatively towards that? Do we write those people off? Jesus didn't. Let's look over at Matthew 11. Y'all getting something tonight. Notice Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Those same people he was hanging out with, the sinners, the tax collectors, just a couple of chapters later, this is what Jesus says to those people. Notice his attitude. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said to all those so-called bad people, Sinners, come to me. You're welcome here with me. This is a safe place for you to be. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm here to save you. And Jesus said, I want you to come to me. Speaking to those sinners, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, all the people he was speaking to were living in a state of weariness and labor and unrest like the majority of the world is that's, that's not saved. That's, that's where they live, in a place of unrest, no peace. Their life is a stress, it's a strain, it's labor, it's hard, it's toil. They have no rest, they have no peace at night. They are empty, they try to fulfill themselves through sex through drugs, through alcohol, through a career, through all kinds of things like that, and they're still empty, and they're looking for rest. 
And notice Jesus' attitude is not, come to me if you're good enough. Come to me if you've done this, this, and this, and if you stop smoking cigarettes, then you can come to me. Or if you stop cussing, then you can come to me. No, Jesus doesn't talk like that. He says, you come to me first, then I'll change all those things. Not vice versa. But a lot of the church world says, if you clean up this, this, and this, then you're welcome here, then you can come here. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus said. If it's like that, then none of us belong here. If you've got to be perfect to be a part of what Jesus is doing, nobody belongs in the church. But Jesus said, I want you to come to me. You're welcome here. You're welcome in my life. You're welcome in my world. How many of us act like that towards lost people? i got to say, I haven't done that like I should. I've had an attitude so many times with lost people, with unsaved people. Judge them. Said wrong things about them thinking I'm all that in a bag of chips, realizing that the only way, way I'm the way I am is because of Jesus. Not because I'm good or anything else. It's other than Jesus changed my life, and he made me the person I am today. Bottom line, that's it. It's not because I'm just a more moral, disciplined person, and I'm better than them. I tell you, a lot of us have that attitude. Some of you won't say it, but especially church kids, because I am a church kid. I've grown up in church my whole life, and we are the most likely person to be a Pharisee on the planet. Church kids. Because you guys think you're pretty legit. You think you're pretty good, and you look down on people that are not saved and sanctified like you are. But you've got to realize some were some of us. We used to be those people. You might not realize that, but apart from God, you would be in the same shape they are. And think about it. If you were on the other end of that and you were that lost person, wouldn't you want that person to come talk to you and tell you the answer? Then why won't we get out of our comfort zone and go tell them the answer? Why won't we get out of our comfort zone and go love on them? Because if we were that person, we would be begging God or whoever we thought was up there in heaven to send somebody in our life and tell us what is true and what is the real way to God and what is a way to be fulfilled and what is a way to be at peace and at rest. So think about it. If you were that person, would you, want to, would you want them to treat them the way you treat them? Would you want that? Jesus said, come, you're welcome here. You belong here. See, that's, that's grace evangelism, not guilt evangelism. Grace says you belong before you behave. That's what grace says. And that's what Jesus came and said. He didn't say, you got to behave and do everything right, and then you belong in my family. No, he said, you belong before you behave. We'll deal with the behavioral issues later, but you need to come to him first because you belong here. How many of us really put off that vibe at church? When we see people that... They come into church and we look at them and they smell kind of funny. They look kind of different. Like, you know they hadn't been living right. Do we treat them like, you got to behave here before you're accepted here? Or we treat them like, hey, you belong here. 
you're in the right place. You're in a place to get answers. You're in a place to get your life changed. You're in the right place, and you're a part of this family, and we love you. And you haven't done anything to deserve it, but we love you already. Why? Because that's the way Jesus would treat them. Let's look over at Revelation 22. Man, I appreciate you guys coming out tonight. Revelation 22. So we know this from the past couple weeks that Jesus has went up to heaven. I don't know if you realize that. But he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And 2,000-something years ago, he handed off the mission of God to the church. And he told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel and finish the work he started. And we talked about that some the past couple weeks. About He said, I want you to go change the world, but don't go by yourself. I'm going to send another to help you do what I've called you to do. And that's the Holy Spirit which the Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit came on this planet to empower the church to do what Jesus has called it to do. The Holy Spirit came so that we could be able to change people's life. The Holy Spirit came so the church could be effective. Because apart from the Holy Spirit of God, the church has got nothing. The church is a social club. The church is a, just a little community of people together that come and sing songs together and smile at each other and go out to eat with each other. But they have no power to change anybody. If a church doesn't have the Holy Spirit present in it, let's just go down to... Uh, let me think of a good club name. I was thinking of all the old men clubs like the Shriners or Cosairs. Or the American Legion. There's no difference. The Freemasons. That's it. We're just like a bunch of Freemasons. Hey, but the Freemasons, they got a lot of power, though. I'll give them that. But not Holy Ghost power. So, <laughs> the church, apart from the Holy Spirit, is just another social club. And is powerless to do anything that God has called it to do. And notice in Revelation 22. Notice this is the last book of the Bible. The last chapter of the Bible. The last couple of verses of the Bible. We said this the other week. When Jesus left, he said several things to his disciples. And some of the things he said was going to all the world. We said when somebody's about to go on, they're not going to just talk about stuff that's not important. They're going to be talking about something that's very vital and very important. They're not going to be just throwing out random words when they know this is some of the last words I'm going to speak to you. Same way with the end of the Bible here. He's not going to just put in filler words at the end just to make it look cute and in the book. It's very important what he says at the last. And notice, this is the last chapter, the last couple of verses of the last book of the Bible. And notice what Jesus says in verse 12 and behold I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work and I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end the first and the last 
and verse 17, it says, or let's go to verse 16 real quick. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things and the churches, and I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. In verse 17, in the spirit and the bride say come. And let him who hears say come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water freely. So notice, when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, what did Jesus say to everybody that was broken and lost and unsaved? What did he say? Come. But he handed the mission over to the church and the spirit. And notice what he commands the church and the spirit to say until the work's done. Come. Are we saying that, church? Are we saying, come if you can do this, this, and this? Or come if you qualify? No, he just says, come. You're welcome here. Notice, all you who are thirsty, or all you who are unfulfilled, all you who are looking for something bigger than where you're living, all you who are looking to be saved, and you know you need help, you know you need to change, that's who needs to come. And Jesus said, in the spirit and the bride, say come, together. Those are the last words Jesus gave to the church and the spirit. Was for them to be saying, together, come. I said this last week, but you need to realize this. The church is incapable of changing the world apart from the Holy Spirit. See, this is not just the church, and this is not just the Spirit. It's the church and the Spirit speaking together. Simultaneously, in stereo, the Spirit and the bride speaking together. And if they don't speak together, nothing's going to happen. You know, the same way that the church is incapable of changing the world apart from the Spirit the Spirit of God will not speak apart from the church. There's the other side of it. That's why he said the Spirit and the bride say come. Because it's not one or the other. We talk so much about, which we have the past couple weeks, which is completely true. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. But notice, the Holy Spirit can't do it without us. The Spirit of God will not speak apart from the church. The Spirit of God will not speak, speak apart from the bride of Christ. And notice he says the bride, which we all know the bride of Christ is the church. The bride of Christ is his church. You got to think about this. When you come against the church, you're coming against Jesus' bride. For all the people out there, which there's a lot of smart elk youth and young adults our age, I don't know if you realize that, that make fun of the church, that don't want to be a part of a, ch a church, that criticize the church, they are criticizing the bride of Christ. They are criticizing Jesus' bride. The church is what's precious to Jesus. The church is what Jesus came to build. He said, I've come to build my church. I've come to build my bride. So we've got to think, if we're not in line or in tune with the church, 
we're not in line and in tune with Jesus because that's his bride and that's what he cares about. So we should love the church. We should protect the church. We should serve the church. We should be bringing our supply to the church because that's what Jesus is using to change the world. And the Spirit of God will not speak apart from the church. Why? Because he needs people to speak through. The Spirit of God will not speak unless the bride speaks. See, that's why it's so important that you're part of a local church. So you can't say I'm part of the global church when you're not a part of a local church. That's, that's bogus and it's lame. For people to say that I'm, I'm just a part of the global church, that means I don't want to have any responsibility. I don't want anybody speaking into my life and I am rebellious. That's what it's saying. Notice, if you're not into church, then I guess you're not into what Jesus is building. That's like somebody saying, I love you, but I hate Lauren's guts, and I would like to punch you in the face. Listen, we're not going to be good friends. I, I, don't, I don't care if you say that to me, but if you say that to my wife, especially because she's pregnant, I'm going to punch you in the face. Then I'm going to get Beanie, Chad, Bishop, and Amsie all to punch you in the face also and then we'll pray for you afterwards <laughs> see that that doesn't work it's, it's, it's so easy to understand when you think about it naturally that's like saying I like you but I hate your wife's, wife's guts are we okay no it doesn't work like that but a lot of people say that they don't realize they're talking about Jesus bride they're like, I just love Jesus, but I'm not really into the whole church thing, the whole organized religion. I'm really not into, like, going to a church on a regular basis or anything or being involved. I kind of do my own thing. Like, I'm kind of my own pastor. I kind of just need myself. So that was all free there. So we got to realize the church is important to Jesus. So the spirit and the bride, they speak together. This is something you need to hear because we're talking about changing the world. We want to see lost people. Well, then the Spirit and the bride's going to need to speak to the people. You're welcome here. You need to come here. You're welcome in our community. You're welcome in our family. We love you. And you belong before you behave. The thing is, if, if us as believers speak apart from the Spirit, our words have no authority, our words have no weight. Our words just fall to the ground because they're not important by ourselves. But what makes them special is when the Spirit speaks with us. So there's a big difference. Because see, a lot of people are talking to lost people, to unsaved people, but the Spirit's not speaking with them. That's why there's no change in that person's life. That's why your words have, have no weight to them. They seem like they don't have any authority. They seem like they're falling to the ground. It's because you're not speaking with the Spirit. Because the only way to be effective is when the Spirit and the bride speak together. I don't know about you, but I've had this before. You know, people come up who are unbelievers, and they'll ask you really tough questions. And you'll be like, hold on, let me, let me get back to you in a second here. And you'll try to think of the most educated uh, answer with like 50 scriptures. And you'll try to explain the best you can, but then nothing you say seems to make sense to them. And you're like, Jesus, help me here. Why? Because you're speaking apart from the Spirit. 
But how many have had the opposite situation happen? Somebody ask you a question that may be kind of difficult about God or being saved or the Holy Spirit or anything like that, and you, and you start out the conversation and you can't think of anything to say other than I don't really know how to exactly answer that question, but Jesus loves you. And then that person just starts crying on you and they break down and they pretty much ask you, will you pray for, for me to get saved right now? You know why that worked in your other educated answer that took you 15 minutes to tell them didn't work? It's because the Spirit's speaking with you. There's a big difference. Because I've had to happen more than one time. I've spent like an hour, hours on end with an individual person trying to explain to them things about God, and they do not get it. And now I have another person over here, and I say, Jesus loves you, and they break down and cry. Why? Because the Spirit's speaking with me. That's the only way your words will ever be powerful and effective to lost people is if the Spirit of God is speaking with you. Why? Because the Spirit and the bride have to say, come together. Are you getting anything tonight? Let this be our prayer every time we speak to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Use my lips. Talk through me. Explain these things to, to them because me just by myself, it's not going to make that big a difference. You know what? There's some people that are going to be able to out-debate you, out-talk you. They're more educated with you. But when the Spirit speaks with you, they can't deny it. Why? Because your words have power on them. I love the Apostle Paul said, I didn't come with enticing speech and fancy talk, but I came to you with power. That's the difference. And Paul could talk some fancy talk. He was very educated, but he said, what matters is not that I'm super educated and I can explain everything to you. What matters is if the Spirit of God's speaking through me. Because that's the only way that there's going to be power there to change people's life. I'm sorry, I just spit all over both rows there. I'm sorry. It's, it's anointed spit in Jesus' name. I wrote this down here. Never get too smart or too educated to lead the Spirit out of your conversations. Because that's what I've seen. A lot of people, once they've been in church a while and now they know a lot of scriptures and they've read a lot of Christian books, they feel like they want to debate everybody, but they never get anywhere. Why? Because they're trusting themselves to change that person and not the Spirit of God through them to change that person. Never get too smart are too so-called mature that you don't need the Spirit of God speaking through you because that's the only thing that can change people's life is the Spirit of God. you got to realize the Spirit of God is what draws people to Jesus, is what convicts people, is what changes people's life. And apart from it, you can't do that. Me just getting up and talking to somebody, I don't have the power to convict them of sin and draw them to Jesus. I can't do it. I mean, some of us in here can condemn people into it or guilt them into it. But the only person able to convict them and draw them to Jesus in a loving way is the Holy Spirit. Let's look over at John 4. John 4, this is the last verse. John 4. 
the spirit and the bride they say come we're going to read John 4 and we're going to talk a little bit about it but then after that we're going to do some praying for lost people we're going to do some praying for our unsaved friends we're going to do some praying that maybe you don't have anybody maybe you don't know anybody that God will send some unsaved people in your life and maybe before you kick them out this time, think twice. And what I'm saying tonight does not negate the message on you having good friends whatsoever. I still believe in that firmly. But you've got to realize, if you start asking God for Him to send lost people into your life, He's going to do it, so don't kick them out. Lost people start showing up in your life wanting to hang out, and you say, no, I can't hang out with you. I'm a Christian. I, I'm, not, I'm not able to hang out with you because you might rub off on me. Because, because I'm not on fire for God enough, I really feel like this lost person can rub off on me. See, there can be plenty of lost people around me. I'm not insecure anymore about them rubbing off on me with my relationship with God. Now, if, you, if you're in that place, maybe I don't say you need to go do that. If you feel so insecure, you feel like, if I hang out with one lost person, I'm going to be shooting, uh, shooting stuff into my veins and smoking weed the next day. Then maybe you need to just chill out for a little bit. But some of us that are secure enough in our relationship with God, and we know what's better, and we know that the Holy Spirit is living big on the inside of us, go ahead. Because guess what? The person changing in that relationship is not going to be you. It's going to be them. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The last thing I wanted to talk about is John 4, the woman at the well. And um, we're not going to read this whole, whole thing, but I just want to talk about a few parts. And notice, there was this woman at the well, and Jesus was sitting at a well, just hanging out. She was coming to get water. And it says... This is my paraphrase of it. That Jesus was there, and they started talking to each other. Jesus started saying stuff about living water, and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to get a drink out of this well. And he's talking spiritually to her, and she doesn't realize this. And the thing is, in verse 13, John 4, 13, this is what Jesus says to her. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's talking about natural water. But whoever drinks of the water or the Spirit of God that I shall give him, they will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You've got to realize water is always spoken of in the Bible as the Spirit of God. Does that sound familiar? Because we just read this in Revelation 22. He says, Come all you who are thirsty. And Jesus said, when you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. When you really come to Jesus, nothing else will satisfy you but him. You will never go anywhere else looking for something else once you really come to Jesus. Because there's no high like him. There's nothing else that can fulfill like him. There's nothing better in this world than him. And Jesus said, when you come to me, you will never thirst again. You will never go looking for anything else to fulfill you. And it goes on down here. And pretty much, 
he, he asked her about her husband and she had five different husbands and she pretty much had been sleeping around with everybody in that town as it seems like and notice what Jesus did once again how did he treat her because he realized she'd been sleeping with five different husbands she probably sleeping around with everybody in the city how did Jesus treat her notice he didn't condemn her he didn't judge her he didn't talk down to her he said, come. He said, you're welcome here. You belong here. You came to the right place, lady. Notice he said, what I'm giving, you'll never thirst again. Once you come to me, you won't have to sleep around with everybody anymore because that won't satisfy you. You won't be looking for something else or itching to find something else once you come to me. In verse 29, notice what happened or let's start in verse 28 the woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men come see a man who has told me all things that I ever did could this be the Christ so notice her response once Jesus had changed her life once Jesus had transformed her life and he said come to her she in turn said come to others are you hearing me tonight when Jesus said, come to me, she came. And notice her response. She couldn't keep it to herself. See, see, that's, that's the thing that, that kind of disturbs me about some of us in here. If you've really come to Jesus and he's really that good, why don't you tell anybody if he's really that good? Because she didn't, she didn't have a class on evangelism before she went and told the whole city about Jesus. Nobody told her, hey, you need to go win lost people, lady. No, she was so excited what Jesus had done in her life. No, she went to the whole city and said, come, 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 come. You're welcome. You're welcome here. You need, to, you need to find this man, Jesus, because he will fulfill you. He will give you everything you've ever wanted. You need to come. And that's the only proper response for the bride is to say, come to others. And notice, it's come without conditions. It's come no matter what you look like, no matter what you act like, no matter what background you are, it's come unconditionally. See, a lot of church people don't like that because they don't want to feel uncomfortable at church. They don't want to feel uncomfortable with lost people. But Jesus said, come without conditions our response should be come and we got to realize this what if there's people in our life that come and they don't change next week but they still want to come what are we going to do we got to give them two weeks and say hey if you don't stop smoking in two weeks you're out of this church brother hey if you don't straighten up your language you're out of here is that what Jesus said? See, the reason we're saying that is because you're trying to be the Holy Spirit and you're not. Because we don't have the right to judge when Jesus is trying to change that person on our own time limit of changing that person. Because there could be people that God is working on that you don't even realize, but by you opening your big mouth and offending them, they might never come back to God. 
So we can't judge on where people should be by our own, own opinion. We've got to realize the Spirit of God is working in that person. Let Him work and let Him do His job. It's Jesus' job to save them, not ours. It's Jesus' job to change them, not ours. It's Jesus' job to transform those people, not ours. You know what our job is? To love them. Our job is to love them. Our job is to keep saying, come. Our our job is to keep saying, you're welcome here. You belong here. We love you. You're in the right place. You came to the right family. You belong here. That's our job. And it's Jesus' job to save them, not ours. Would you guys get anything tonight? Brother Michael, can you come up and play some keyboard for me?